to another episode of the Born Human podcast. Thank you as ever to all of you for joining us. This week we're thinking a little bit differently about parenthood. Today I'm joined by two very good friends of mine, Mr. Eric Pumphrey and Christopher Glassy. Christopher's what I used to call him when we were growing up, and his mum calls him that. Um, and we're talking about parenthood for two people who don't have any children. Ultimately, Chris and Eric have both been on a journey caring for their own parents who have both been diagnosed with Alzheimer's and dementia and so through the majority of their 30s have been caring for them and looking after them much in a similar way to how you might perceive someone caring for their children. In fact the most interesting part of this conversation for me was seeing how much common ground there actually is between raising children and caring for those you love in that kind of situation. So I hope you enjoy this as much as I did. I'll leave you to Chris, Eric and myself talking about dementia, Alzheimer's and caring for your parents. Welcome to today's Born Human podcast. Today is a little bit different. Um, We've historically focused on people that have kids, have been trying to have kids and are currently parents themselves and the thing that's always struck me about being a parent is that there's a lot of parallels that can be drawn between parenthood and many other facets of life and one of the things that really sticks out for me currently is the fact that we are part of what we call the sandwich generation which is us looking after our parents and caring for people around us even though we may not be parents ourselves. So today I am lucky to be joined by two very good friends of mine um, who are both experiencing something similar because I think that's really important. So today I'm joined by Mr Eric Pomfrey. Give yourself a round of applause Eric. How do you? Mr. Christopher Glasson, my oldest friend on planet Earth. How are oh, you both? Indeed. Hey, mate. Good. Yeah, so it's great to have you both on. And I, I'm not, as as we know, I'm not going to drive this too much as such because I, I don't have parents in your situation. But certainly for the two of you, you've had a, a pretty complicated journey this last few years and so it'd be great to just talk about that and get an idea of um what it's been like for you both um one of the things that i'm really interested is to see the parallels between the two of you and kind of Mm -hmm. how that's that's grown so who wants to start raise your hands in in, (laughs) around the zoom (laughs) uh happy for you to go first mate Uh, yeah i'll keep it i'll keep it brief then um because obviously it's a a very complex sort of situation isn't it but i'll i'll give you a wee bit of background so my dad has got dementia um he's now in an old folks home uh, a care home and about six or six well seven years ago six years ago he was diagnosed with, with Alzheimer's before that became a guest there was something going on but it's a very hard thing to discuss with someone you know um my dad was a, was a very stubborn man so it was like a very hard to, to, you know decision to make as a family through him getting diagnosed with it I lived down south you know my dad lived in Glasgow I lived down south and I made a decision right or wrong I don't know I just I, I made a sort of knee-jerk reaction to give up my job move home 
and help my mum and my dad, you know, deal with uh, this new situation. Um, knowing that it was going to get progressively harder for my mum. Um, so it was, mo- it was partly for my mum and for my dad. So it wasn't actually all about my, my dad. Um, I was thinking about both of them yeah. and trying to be, you know, relieve some of the stress that was inevitable to come. Um, so that's what happened. So about 2000, the end of 2016, I moved back to Glasgow and my mum and I cared for my dad all the way up to him uh, about just over, just before COVID, he went into a home um, and he's still there now and he's doing okay, but he's, um, uh, so it's about, God, how many years is that? About maybe four and a half years I kind of spent helping mum and dad deal with that. Um, so yeah, that's the kind of background. That's, I mean, yeah, that's incredible, right? Like it's just to like, to think how quickly that all sort of turned around. I remember when we were all in London kind of thing and then it's like Eric's moving back to Glasgow and it all kind of happened. And like, have you got siblings, Eric? You've got brothers and sisters? Yeah, I've got a sister and a brother, but <clears throat> a bit, um, you know, I've got no, I had a partner at the time and um, I didn't have any kids and my, my total instinct was just to move home, you know, um, she came at the time, but she didn't, she didn't stay. Um, so I just, I was there to focus on it. It sounds like I've, I've neglected her, but that was a whole different situation. Um, so it was, that was none of that. It was just, that was between her and I, but this was, my focus was to try and help them. And that was, it wasn't to neglect anyone else. I just kind of thought, right, move back to Glasgow and we both moved back, but then it just didn't work out between us, you know, nothing mm. to do with my dad or my, yeah. my mum. It was just, that's just the way it kind of, you know, cookie crumbled. Yeah. Um, but uh, I, so I, I moved back just purely to do that and then figure out how to get, you know, how to survive and how to live. Yeah. I don't know if that was the question, but... <laughs> There is no question, Eric. We take it wherever you want to go with it, really, I suppose. Did, yeah. you, you know, when you said, sorry, Andrew, I thought you were going to say something, but uh, you know, you suspected before the diagnosis, like things weren't quite right. Like, how long before, like, and, and what were the sort of things that you started going, mm, what's going I, on there? <clears throat> bizarrely, I would say probably four years before. Yeah. Um, it was. My dad was very close, close to his mum and dad. My grand died from dementia as well in 2008. Um, I was on June the 6th, so it's actually coming up to um, that. And my grandpa passed away, and it was tragic. It was a real tragic sort of thing. He had a fall and stuff. But over a nine months, um, he was in hospital. Then he mm. passed away in 2012. Mm. But there was little signs. I don't know if, if those two things kind of started to trigger things with my dad. Um, there was just little things, you know, like things my dad would never do, like never not pick you up. You know, if I was coming home, he wouldn't forget that I was coming on the train. He would be there. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> even like picking my, myself up from the hospice where my grandpa was, he just forgot. And even though it was like an hour before, so it wasn't like... Like, oh, I've just forgot you were coming up on a Tuesday. It was like an hour before you'd go off to do something and then just forget to come back. Yeah. And then little things like just out of character stuff, you know, like 
him and my mum would be up in Isla, which is an island of the West Scotland where my aunt lived. And then he just got annoyed my mum and, and left her there and drove home, you know. Yeah. All these kind of homing signals as well, like he was always trying to get home. So as much as he wasn't admitting it and doing stuff with money and all that, you know, just very, very out of character things for my dad. So you're like, well, that doesn't make sense. And it took about four years to get him to, to actually go and see someone about it. Yeah. So we had these, we suspected stuff, didn't want it to be dementia, but no one, because my gran had it, these little signs and thought, well, he's just doing stuff out of character and dealing with lots of stuff, you know. So I'd say 40 years before we could see signs. And it, yeah. it obviously just got more and more bigger signs, you know, it started with small stuff and then it just grew. Yeah. And obviously it may have not been dementia, but it just, you just, when you know someone, you know the characteristics of what they do and then you think, well, that just doesn't make sense. Yeah. And then I suppose for your dad or anyone in that situation, my nan had dementia um, died, died a few years ago, but um, you sort of there's a whole a massive element of pride in it, right? That, that a lot of them, a lot of people who go through it, quite understandably, are like, no, 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 I don't, I don't, nothing's happening to me, like I'm fine, kind of. Uh-huh. Thing. It just sounds like your dad. If it was took that long to get help, then it sounds like your dad had that kind of thing as well. It was definitely a huge sign of dementia and not what I admit to it, you know, which I I totally understood, you know. It's obviously scary. Your mind is who you are, and and if you're losing elements of that and you can kind of sense it, it must be hard to kind of admit that to yourself that I, because obviously it's, it's a scene that happened to your own parents, so my dad's what happened to mum. His mum and his aunt and his uncle, they all had dementia. So he's seen it he's seen it numerous times. I think there's the fear just made him go into denial. Yeah. And that denial lasted for four years. I mean, not one office could get him to to commit to go there. And then yeah. I had to take steps to convince him to go there. And then we did. Um it was once we started the process, it was fine, you know. Yeah. Um, did your dad then sort of like acknowledge it and ex- accept that and sort of be, oh, right, okay. Well, at the point when he went to the doctors, then he was like, right, okay, let's go. And then when they said it's dementia, he was like, okay, it's dementia. No, did he? But pretty he much, that? I think, because yeah. it was a because it was a, a sort of figure, a medical, you know, a doctor saying it and explaining it and then explaining. Well, now we know what it is, we can mm. do stuff. I almost gave my dad maybe a sense of, right, I can admit what it is. I can, I've got someone here who understands it and they're offering me some suggestions of what I can do to maybe help with it. Yeah. Made a huge um, sort of, uh, it kind of bridged the, the sense of, right, I know, I, I kind of knew I had it, but now someone's telling me it, I can start dealing with it. We're from a, Family point of view, he just wouldn't listen to any office about that. He just shut down or shut off. Um, and don't get me wrong, when he did first get it, he was, you can see he was very sad. You could tell he was thinking about it. But the more they kind of started helping him with different things, he did brighten up a bit. And especially some of the medication they put him on definitely was helping. Um, 
uh, in the sense of he was more responsive, he was actually more chatty. So I think a combination of the medication and the medical sort of um, advice and the doctors explaining it and giving them options rather than just kind of saying, oh, that's it, we can't help you. Um, they gave him lots of good options and supported him really well for like the first year. Um, and then after that, I don't think they've got the funding to do it. But in Scotland, he had a year of support and after that, it just stopped kind of wow. pretty much. And yeah, yeah, it just dries up completely. Pretty much. Pretty much. You know, they had nurses and stuff coming in every every week and you would see the doctor every, God, I can't remember how many times, but maybe every three months. And after a year, it's almost like they've put too many patients that you're then, right, you've kind of now know what's what happens and we yeah. can't do anything, we've got to move on. Um, you kind of find your own way. But don't get me wrong, it definitely helped. That first year definitely helped. But it was like almost overnight. There's no... There's no one else coming to help you. Yeah. To kind of forge your own way, find your own path. Um, and that was very hard. You know, I can hard. imagine like the, you know, like how, how was it in that period where your dad was kind of in denial as such? How was that for you kind of like perpetually kind of trying to encourage it, but not getting the response you needed or wanted and, presumably watching your dad, someone that you obviously love and care for, kind of limiting their options in terms of getting help kind of thing. How did, how was that for you? That was hard. That was probably, the, that was one of the hardest points, more from the point of view from my mum, because my dad was in such denial. We were all trying to, you know, you, know, you don't seem yourself. Should we go and get maybe just speak to the doctor and all that and try and get, you know, to do that dementia test. Try to get my dad to, so I'm, I don't have dementia, I don't want to do that. Why would I want to do that? And my dad's personality is to take, you know, he's, a stu- he's really stubborn. <laughs> he, he's, he'd fall out with people, like, you know, regardless of dementia, he was falling yeah. out all the time anyway. <laughs> he didn't like anyone. But, <laughs> so you've got that element that he'd be like, you know, he loved all us, his kids and family, but He's, he was in such denial that he was doing such, you know, like um, pretty much freezing you out, you know, hanging up the phone and stuff, things that my dad wouldn't do. Yeah. So when I was experiencing that, it was it was just very depressing because you're obviously trying to help and you're actually sometimes so nervous to upset him that you you're not putting in the effort or trying harder to make him do something that you think you know will benefit you know him that you almost for me anyway I, I taking a step back because you don't want to upset him yeah. so that that was incredibly hard because you you want to do the best and you try to do the best but you don't want to upset the person so you start kind of like walking on eggshells and just kind of getting around what the situation is rather than keep pushing to say, no, I think we should really do this because I don't know what difference it would have meant to him getting help earlier, but it was just an impossible task because you'd either push him so much that he would just push you away completely, yeah. which yeah. had a really negative effect on all of us because we were trying to do our best and um, and you knew the pressure would then be on my mum living in this, you know, they were still living in the same house together and stuff. So yeah. 
it was a really catch-22. You try to do the best thing for him, but then you're also trying not to upset him at the same time or um, make your relationship a sort of negative one, which I never had my dad. My dad would do anything for us. Um, so it was really, it was a tricky situation, which I don't think, I don't know, never experienced it before, so I don't know how to handle it. And I don't think we really handled that section very well, but that's partly down to my dad's personality. You know, he's, he's always been stubborn. So it was, it was mm. you're fighting with someone who didn't want to change, didn't want to admit that something was happening. And the more you tried to help him, the more he pushed you away. Yeah. You know? The average um, family as well, like, we don't have a roadmap on exactly how to manage that situation and what what's always the best play. So you just can't help but... You can look back and I I can pull pull apart loads of things. Oh, I could have done that. I could approach that differently. I could have started that sooner. But it's it's weird. It's really weird, like how it creeps up on you, like and how things. Yeah, f- f- my situation it was really it was a real slow thing. Like I I can I can all I can look back and see so many of the things and so many of the trigger points and so many things that had knock-on effects that resulted in this and that. But to start with, it was like a real slow, I didn't really realise, you know, it's 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 a tough one, Eric. It's really mm. it's hard to be hard. We all are hard on ourselves, I think, with it. But it, also trying to be mindful that it's only in this day and age we're starting to understand it a bit more, you know. Um, mm. I, I was blessed that uh, our good friend Jess, um, he he, when things started to really heat up, he handed me a book called uh, Content Dementia and said you might find this useful. And it, God, it was a it's a lifesaver. I really should speak to Jess a little. I haven't spoke to him in ages, mm. um, <clears throat> and that was brilliant. And when I say heat up, I mean things were yeah. It wasn't. I mean, it always feels like when you're caring for someone. I don't know if you noticed this, but you kind of like. Uh, oh, right, well, this is quite bad now, or that this behaviour is quite prominent. Mm. And But, like, in a year, two years' time, it can be, like, almost unrecognisably more difficult. And you oh. thought, I thought it was back hard back then. I thought, oh, it might not get any more challenging. <laughs> it's like, oh, no, it's like I'm now on black belt mode of looking after someone with dementia, you know, because it just gets kind of gets harder and harder. I think you're the title of this, Andrew, parenting your parents is... So when you when you said that, it's such an interesting thing because one day I finally realised that that's what I was doing. Yeah, I didn't know that that's what uh, I was doing, and I was like, "That's rules." Yeah, I'm I'm absolutely your parents now. Yeah, and and a lot of emotional things come with that, especially because around the time when all this started kicking off, really, was when some of my friends' relationships were getting really rather serious, like Mark and Kelly and you and Lucy, and, and children started to be popping out, and it's kind of like the the the, the the sort of thing with I love old, old people and my relationship with my mum and dad has only made it stronger how much I think old people are awesome but when you're parenting your parents you're sort of like it only just gets worse yeah like, fortunately like all the things you don't see them grow you might see you see loads of what you can treasure many memories and tri- triumphs you have during the whole process but ultimately it's a decline as yeah. opposed to with a child you're, they learn to walk. They're not constantly falling over. Yeah. And then they learn to get up. It's like, that's only ever going to get worse. You just have to keep managing the risk yeah. until such point as, you know, you, it's not something that you can actually cope with, Eric. And obviously you've reached that point with your dad. 
I think yeah. that's interesting, <laughs> isn't it? That you, uh, sorry, Eric, but you, I think that is you make the point there about the fact that the parallels between the two are really common in terms of you have a person that you love and care for a lot that you need to kind of help through a period of their life, but thinking about them on those two completely different tra- trajectories, one going up and one coming down, kind of thing, and you know, and largely. You know, I think that's why this conversation is so important to have for me on this on this podcast is the fact that actually when we have kids, everybody goes, right, let's rally around them because, you know, you know, having kids is tough and it's a really difficult thing. And I'm not underplaying that. It is. Don't get me wrong. I don't get enough sleep, all of those kind mm. of factors, right? But there's lots of people around me offering me support and help and kind of like, okay, you're going into the next phase now. Let's kind of like they're going to become teenagers or they're going to be, you know, going into adulthood and you're dealing with kind of hormones. And But there is like, it's very much seen as progressive. Whereas, it's exciting and new as well. Yeah, and actually what, you know, yeah. Eric made the point earlier on, which I, I wasn't aware of and, and shocks me to even think it but i can understand it in some respects but it seems crazy to me to think that after a year the world at large goes okay mate you've had a year we'll call it a day now you just sort yourself out for for how long i don't know could be a very long time and make it work for yourself and financially the burden and emotionally the burden is so big and you're trying to do that at the same time as kind of you know, keep yourself together, manage the family around you. And I think actually just hearing your story, Eric, you see how many people it's impacted just in that sort of 10 minutes of conversation. It shocks, I mean, it doesn't shock me in, in as far as I've, you know, I've had it to some extent with my nan. But yeah, you get a sense of kind of how many people are impacted. I don't think um, from what Chris says as well, like people realise that how enormous the task is at hand. <laughs> it's unbelievable, man. Because it's a bit like, as you say, like a child, a child is growing, they progress, they they have, you know, they don't know what the habits are, but they, they start to learn or, or you can at least say to them, well, don't do that or don't do this or go, you know, no, you have to go to bed and stuff. Mm. And as much as that's what happens for me anyway, my dad was, was, Degressing, you know, he's, he's becoming more infant like, which was really yeah. sad to watch. But yeah. it's also you're there to manage it. So you're, you're yeah. thinking practically, like, no, I've, I need to help him go to the toilet, or I need, to, or problems happen, and you have to go and help him in the toilet, mm. or problems happen at night, and you're up at two in the morning or four in the morning. But you can't, because of dementia, they don't remember that. So they no. don't understand that no. you're tired. I know kids obviously don't either, but you've got a wee, a wee bit that you can kind of play off them to say, right, come on, go and play with this and do this. But with some of dementia, you, you have to not, you can't really let them out your sight at points when it gets to a certain point. Yeah, absolutely. But you're, you're trying all this stuff and you're tired and that, and they've got no idea. So, and then you're getting, what well, I did and I feel bad, but I'd get angry sometimes like, oh, oh of course. but they've got no understanding. You know, they, no. to them, it's like, what are you angry about? We just got up. We're, You've been up all night, you know, try to make sure because they get up and they've walked around yeah, and yeah. there's there's multiple problems that come with that and you're just yeah. stressed and tired because it happens every night. Yeah. But it almost, as Chris says, it, there'll be a stage where you think, oh, this, you know, 
when you look back and go, well, that was easier compared to what it gets to. But I found it went in kind of like in steps. So it'd be yeah, like, totally. it'd be, it would stay like stabilize and you'd yeah. be like, all right, we're here. This is okay. You know, it's just a lack of sleep. And then it drops. And then it's like lack of sleep with um, incontinence and problems like that. And then it drops again and it keeps, it just stabilizes. Oh, this is okay. We can manage You've this. had a good patch for a while and you forget oh, how like, good it's been for a certain amount of time. Oh. Since November, I've had a real good run with mum until, funnily enough, Eric, last week. Then it's, I'm, I'm up on observation for three, uh, two and a half nights. So I literally barely slept because if she's up, she's at, like, once she's ill, mum becomes so frail that she she'll start a gymnastics routine around the house. If you know, do you know what I mean? She will fall, and that's that. You know, so mm. yeah. Then you have no sleep, but but thankfully she's gone back to her baseline, and she she's she's taken another slight dip because every time they get ill, uh, it will affect their cognitive overall cognitive function, doesn't it? But uh, I think Eric as well. You said about your dad regressing. It's like children; they're born idiots. Yeah, it, it sounds funny, right? But a kid is an idiot, right? A baby, and you forgive it for that. Yeah. Right? So, but I guess so because you know, nine months before knows that, they didn't more. actually exist. Didn't they? exist. They know yeah. nothing. They're like, oh right, he's he's, <laughs> he's, he's he's eating mud, right? Let's teach the you know, oh silly Billy, let's show you, and a few goes at it or whatever, and they'll get the hang of not doing that. You, but with your parents or anyone you're parenting, and we're talking about you know dementia. They weren't an idiot, uh-huh. and they're starting to become an idiot. Like yeah. you know, I, I'm, I'm. I, you have to forgive me. Like I speak, no, like, I get, like, I get like, it. Gallows humour, way flippantly, but they are losing their IQ. And uh-huh. to start with, as well, and not even to start with, even to this day, sometimes my mum will just push me like so far that I've got to go and walk out the house. And on a bad day, I buy it. I buy it. I'd just, I'd just be like, oh, mum, please shut up. You can't help it. It's just no. human nature. Yeah, you yeah. literally, like, you can't believe it. Like, if you filmed it, like, there's no comedy show that can do, like, the this comedy setups that your parents with dementia can get you. They can wind you up. Like, it's brilliant. And if you're a fly on the wall, you're like, I can't believe she's just done that. <laughs> and, like, it's just, right. it's, like, honestly hysterical. And at the same time, it's heartbreaking. And so learning how to, like, f- for me, like, starting and th- when the behaviour, so for my dad, who um, kind of before it, either my mum or dad got diagnosed with anything, my dad was doing things where I'd be like, why are you doing it in that order? He was such a practical man, um, very good at building anything. And then we'd go and do a project, whatever it was, like we'd, we'd be fixing something in the garden. And my dad would be doing it utterly ass about face. And because I had no idea that this was, was a thing, really, or it was going to touch us in that way, I'd be like, I'd be getting frustrated with him. I'm like, Dad, what are you going on about? And I couldn't really, because he's kind of like seen as the sort of the, the boss, really, in, in a DIY scenario, and absolutely rightly so, if you've ever seen anything I've put together. I but I kind of like <laughs> had to talk to him doing something, thinking, that's fucking wrong. I know in my heart he's doing that wrong. And you get frustrated a little bit by it. And then I guess one of the biggest tricks you learn is acceptance and just right. like, don't challenge. You, you, you'll get nothing out of challenging them and you can forgive them now. Like they're really sick. They're right. not trying to 
do any of these things that are absolutely basically you could consider it emotional abuse at points like not intentional mm. but say from for example my mum now has like no zero short-term memory and so mum if we have breakfast together she'll sit there and she will say the same thing I, I promise you 50 to 100 times depending on how long we're sat there just the same thing over and over again and you can you can chat to her about that question like what she might ask is um you know, she won't know, remember my girlfriend's name, but she'll be like, where's, um, where's, and I'll say, Molly, Molly. But I'll call, she's in, you know, so-and-so, and we'll have a chat about it, and she'll go, wicked, where's Molly? <laughs> <laughs> and you like, you can sit there and keep a tally. Uh, uh, and you just laugh about it now, most I think, of the time. So I, I think that's the, the, the one thing that, for us as a family, we you get to the point where you just start laughing about stuff, not because you're you're laughing at your dad or no, something, it's just purely because it gets so insane that you just, if you don't laugh about it, you just burst into tears. So yeah. like my dad, he used to go to Tai Chi, you know, it, it developed this thing, like, oh, what, you could do Tai Chi and all that, which is um, brilliant. Um, and he used to go to Tai Chi every week. But as his memory of, uh, he didn't want to go to a point, I think he just didn't want to do it anymore, but he used to drive, you know, I used to just get in the car and we used to drive because sometimes he just was comfortable looking out the window, looking, seeing things all the time and going, oh, there's that place and all that. But he used to go past, he did it with my sister first and I was like, that's hilarious. And then he actually did it with me because he was like, oh, there's that place I used to go and do, uh, you know, just try to think of what it is and you can see him get annoyed. He's just like, Kung Fu! And you would just... <laughs> <laughs> Pissed yourself because if you didn't like those are the kind of moments that actually made it quite good and bearable in some ways because you're like you'd say you'd say some crackers and you'd have a laugh. Um and those are the moments that kind of balanced all the bad and crazy stuff that would obviously come with it as well. But there was you know, because I was obviously start with talking about all the negatives, but there were positives, like you got, you know, there was that element and then the element of looking after someone you love, which I found very positive. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Bring, like, brings you, presumably, in a roundabout kind of way, brings you a lot closer. Yeah. You know, it's it's sad in some ways as well that you have to, like, situations like this make you get, it's like, become closer, you know, not, we've all got our own lives to live, but yeah, I did feel, I generally felt quite, you know, grateful that I could have that time with my dad to do yeah. stuff and help him. And we had lots of dark times and hard times, but we had lots of positive times as well. Yeah. So. And you've got to, I suppose, in all these things, you've got to look for those, haven't you? Because as you brightly said a minute ago, if you if you just sort of looked at them as the negatives, then all you'd end up would just be desperate constantly, right? And I suppose the only saving grace, or I, I always found with my nan to some extent when I, I – my parents could be caring for my nan but the the times when you know it would be frustrating and it would be repetitive and that the one thing that I always took salvation from was the fact that at least if I did get a bit frustrated or a bit angry or uh, I laughed at her or whatever then I'd also know that in five minutes time she won't remember it so there no. is a certain grace in that to be Absolutely. like the the only thing that remains is the bruise on them. 
Yeah. <laughs> I'm joking. I'm, jo- I'm joking. But like, um, they'll be round at your mum's tomorrow, it's, Chris. It's, I imagine. Andy, it's such a it's such a true thing. Like, um, the last time I kind of had a gut, my mum. It wouldn't have been that. It honestly wouldn't have been that long ago. I don't, I don't want to paint myself as like this guy who's like I've I've nailed. I've had two parents go through broad by and large dementia and Parkinson's that led into Louis body dementia. And, and I still not get, I don't get it right all the time. And I, and, and I, I, I don't know, a couple of weeks ago, I sort of, I can't remember what it was. I really can't. So many. And um, so many instances where things go wrong, but anyway, I kind of snapped to my mum and I was like, Oh mum, please stop doing this. And, um, but loud, loud, like I, I did snap. And, um, you know, and two minutes later, mum had no idea about that. And I guess that there is a weird thing. A friend of mine, Dave, once said that and it pointed out to me, this is literally four years ago. And I'd be like, oh, yeah, it is true. Like if there's if we do have a moment, mum's mum or dad, well, mum particularly would have com- completely forgot it. Yeah, we should we should take a step back, Chris, and understand what you're because we've kind of I'm aware that we've sort of delved into your situation and got some of it, but yeah. do you want to kind of clarify yeah. kind of how it was for you and where you are? And yeah, how sure. You so, yeah. So I, it's weird. I think this goes back to really about 2010 when uh, really dad first got uh, stomach cancer. And um, I think that took like the whole treatment of that um, and he nearly died that took a massive step out of my dad, like a re- that really did take a bit away from my father and never, he never like physically was him like completely could completely come back from it. No matter what he tried. My dad was always very much like, right, there's this problem. I remember him always joking about the cancer saying I could lose a few pounds around the waist. Let's get on with this. But it, no matter his attitude to it, he couldn't really, could really come back to the baseline you know he's lucky to come away with his life he always said because there was there was a week where it was like uh this is a flip of a coin stuff um but yeah so it's kind of started with that and then really after that was my first taste of feeling like I was having to almost like be the the pillar for mum mm. and dad's health and then um in around 2011 2012 um was when mum got Mum sort of like had started, she got breast cancer and she went through radiotherapy and they said to my mum, this could cause mem- some memory issues. You might have trouble recalling things. And my mum had already been depressed for 20 years. And and and, and I think despite me taking mum to psychologists and, you know, I tried so much for my mum. In some ways, you know, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. And my mum, once she had breast cancer, um, when they told her that she might have a poor memory, she was so like um, defeated by the, like she wouldn't didn't, didn't think, oh, maybe I can beat that. She would constantly research, yeah, no, I can't, I'll just bear in mind, I won't be able to remember much now. And I'd be like saying, mum, listen, I know a bit about cognitive behaviour therapy. I've been through it myself. Um, if you start telling yourself you can't remember things and you, you know, stop making an effort with it. If that's not going to be good for you in the future. And, you know, not about two years later, she got diagnosed with mild cognitive impairment. So it's about 2012. That's weirdly. I found the medical record the other day. Mm. And um, that meant that she would just ask repeat questions. And back then I even thought it was a bit mad 
that mum was doing that. But mum would do that every like, I don't know, like in the day she'd she'd ask a couple, like a noticeable amount of time. She'd be like, mum, you know, you've asked that. And then she'd go, oh, yeah. And that was kind of the start of mum. And within like um, within the same month for mum getting diagnosed with that, dad got diagnosed with Parkinson's and um, that really was kind of the, the start. Dad, other than dad's logical things he was doing, Eric, I didn't really think I, I didn't have anything on there. I just thought my dad was just being a knob effectively was being a stubborn prick really when it came to mm. these, like these DIY things with mum, it was quite apparent that there was like, there was these things. And so it started really 2012 was really where it all started to begin. Um, at first dad's Parkinson's was manager was, was quite, it was relatively wasn't quite that apparent. Um, and he had medication and for probably the first two years, things were like a slight challenge. But as we said earlier, Eric, really, I look at it now and it's almost like they had perfect health because then things really started to like crack, uh, go up a notch. Like dad's dad started getting restless leg syndrome. He started not sleeping sundowner mm. syndrome. And then my dad would like, cause he wasn't sleeping. He would be a zombie. He'd be a zombie all the yeah. time. I, I, unfortunately I've got a tragic video cause I was showing it to the doctors um, at one point. And it's, it's my dad walking around the house like a zombie and it's, it's, it's mad to see a man like my dad, who was very switched on always a joker to literally re- resembling a zombie. I can't explain it any other way. And him not sleeping, that was really sort of like when I was like now starting to have to spend a, like more and more time around their house, making sure that dad didn't have falls while he was having that and trying to get him back to some form of normality. And it was always based with the doctor saying, oh, maybe it's the medication. And he couldn't take certain things because it made him psychotic, which is like, yeah. Uh, yeah, when you see your parents like, so, uh, did your did your dad ever like see like see things in the room and stuff? Uh-huh. Like that? Yeah, sometimes you'd, you'd be sitting there stretching his hand out like he was <laughs> like something was there and he was trying to grab it and stuff. And yeah, um, never really got down to the bottom line of what what he could see or what what it was, but he definitely was hallucinating at points. Um, and there was points where I it just. It, it's very hard to, you know, because like, over so many years and yeah. so much happens, try like, um, rem- like I, I totally forgot about that. That was one ailment I forgot about. But the I always put it down to a mixture of the dementia and the, and the lack of sleep. Yeah. Because you know what it's like? If you, and obviously urine infections and stuff like that, which yeah, all yeah. kind of contribute, he always was getting urine infections and stuff and it would just, it would take him, it would knock him down quite a lot um but i think one of the big elements um for me was was the lack of sleep um yeah. because he would nocturnal really he was up all night and then for the day he was sleeping but nobody else could uh, sleep yeah um because he would just have a he'd have naps and stuff and then he would he'd be up again and everybody's stressed and, and stretched out and then by the end of the night again he's up again and you're all like was there a time? Did you like? Because my dad's mate, when when he had like this sundowner thing, was there a sort of time where he started like getting restless or anything like that in the evening? Or no? Well, to be honest, he was just 
if he wasn't asleep in the his armchair, he'd be restless completely. Yeah. He couldn't sit still. Yeah. He'd be up all the time, looking out the window, walking back to his seat. And and one of the hardest things for me was more so at night time and in the daytime, regardless of when he was restless, was my mum who bless her, she's incredibly good at caring for my dad. She did a really amazing job, but she just couldn't accept him changing and was just like, you know, sit down, come on, or go back to bed, why you up? Uh, and my dad would be walking around the, the room looking for how to get out, you know? Um, he'd lost total... He'd been in this room for 30 years and he totally forgot how, you know, where the front, the, the exit to the room was or the toilet was. And then there's other elements, you know, and I, I don't like to obviously expose all this stuff to my dad, but he wouldn't make it to the toilet and stuff. So the stress of that, and sometimes I would get it because you're like, oh God, it's just there. Can you not just see where the toilet is, you know? You used to leave the light on and stuff and make it dead obvious, but you'd be, unfortunately, you'd get so annoyed at something that's not their fault, but it was it was almost a balancing act for me between my mum and my dad because I knew my mum would get more annoyed and stressed if my dad was getting up. So I would try to balance it by, you know, staying in the same house and, like, I could hear him and I wouldn't be sleeping, so I'd be, like, listening out. Yeah. If he was up, I would try and counteract his movement with mine yeah. so my mum wouldn't get stressed because then when she got stressed, I got stressed and it was, like, a, a just a domino effect of things. So, um I I found that whole process of him changing from being kind of stable to starting to get up in the night and start being agitated all the time was more stressful for my mum than my dad. You know, my dad was oblivious to it. So hmm. we were all stressed and he was fine. But and then you get angry at them for no for that reason, um, even though they're not doing it intentionally. But I thought my mum found it impossible to accept that he wasn't doing it. You know, like, yeah. he must know he's doing it. yeah. He must know. How can he not know? And it's just like, well, he's lost part of his, you know, he's had his hippocampus decay and that's it. He can't remember it. If you, that's just the way it works, isn't it? You can't beat, you're not going to, you can't. I've done it so many times as well, Eric. I've like sat my dad or, not my, like their conditions were slightly different. Like my dad's, dementia kind of kicked in like right towards the end in like the last two years, the real dementia, the Parkinson's was really what he had, but that affected his still his cognitive capacity, but he could remember things. Um, I can't remember where I was going to go with that then. Um, what was you just saying? I, Eric? I was just talking about the, the, the stress that was putting on my mum. Oh, right. Um, and then the fact that, uh, that was stressing me out and, and so on and so forth. It was like a... That was it. Dad, Dad of- knew. Dad knew what was happening. Like, like unlike like my mum's condition, mum still now thinks she's fine. And it's the hmm. biggest blessing. Mum has oh. no idea what's going on. She thinks she's fine. And uh, it's like, it's obviously not the reality of the situation. But Dad, like, as Dad's every new loss of faculty like my dad was apt painfully aware of it and like you say about you know things that you would be prideful of and you feel maybe you feel shame if you then start doing them you know like dad was all fucking fully aware of all this sort of stuff whereas mum now like you know 
doesn't she doesn't like she can do something like quite tragic and you know to someone who's got their faculties but she's forgotten about it she's fine she doesn't know it's 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 mad yeah so i felt so i kind of felt for my dad in that sense like he really wanted to do something about it Mm. and we all tried for dad but like eventually it's gonna catch up with you yeah Um, the 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 there's an interesting sort of thought there around kind of how you, um, you, you said it earlier, I think, Chris, about the fact that you've not, uh, when Eric was talking and you said that actually you, you've got to cut yourself some slack and that none of you have ever done this before. So like you're going through it. And as, as you were talking, I was like, and you were talking about your mum, Eric, and how kind of that was. And you think you're at the same time as trying to care for someone, what you're also trying to do is come to terms with the change that you're, uh, and you're not get. It's not like someone goes, right. Here's a problem that you've got to contend with. Go and sit with it for six weeks and work it out, mm. and then come back once you've made peace with it or you've got a handle on it. You're kind of being thrown into this hugely stressful situation, and at the same time, being, I suppose, internally thinking, oh, I've got some things that I need to work out here, but quite frankly, I don't have the time to work them out, you know? And then you're, you know, when you look at the dynamics it creates between, say, you and your mum, Eric, or in your case, Chris, even with your dad, kind of watching, you know, you're, you know where you're at, he does, but he doesn't at the same time. Yeah, you know? yeah. He has that, moments of lucidity and then moments of not. I, yeah. Sorry, this is just off topic, but I don't yeah. know if, Chris, you ever experienced this, right? So my dad... Um, in the in the latter part of when we were caring for him, started developing vertical, develop vertical. Very weird, yeah, he did. And and like you say, like you you forget after things that sometimes happen. Like, you, you do like there's other things. That I'm like shit. That was a bad thing for a year, and you just forget. And like yeah, that 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 got vertigo too, buddy. Yeah. One of the weirdest situations I ever experienced. Looking back, I, yeah, I kind yeah. of wonder what. I got so kind of um, clinical and sort of protective of my dad. So mm-hmm. if I was out walking with him, and I, I could literally, vertical could, you know, for him, could be a, a step that big. It didn't have to be like the classic mm-hmm. thing, like, oh, they're standing beside a building yeah. or at the top of the stairs. It could be like the curb. Yeah. The curb could throw my dad completely. And one day we were in the park and it was a tiny little hill. I mean, it was little. There was nothing. It was, And we'd walked up and down it a million times before. And we got to this bit and he just, he totally froze. And then his knees went and he was like, he was sitting down, you know, like if you curl yourself into a ball. And he was like, just, just leave me, just leave me and all that. And obviously I'm like really upset trying to get him up because I just know if I get him over here, we can move on and stuff. But I'm upset. But I always wonder why, but this guy, he was like, oh, I'll give you a hand, he's all right. Not knowing, obviously, my dad's got no. dementia and stuff. He no. just thought my dad had slept and all that. And I was just like, no, mate, just leave us alone. We, we can deal with this ourselves. <laughs> I just didn't even want people to help me. I was like, I'm quite capable of just doing this myself. Yeah. But I could actually look back, like, that would have been great, actually. Why did I not come back? But I think I was so protective of my dad and not, exposed, no, not showing that he has these problems. I wanted to kind of just, like, protect but him. Say, your dad might oh. have felt a bit weird about it as well. Yeah, I think I was. It's like, just go away. I can deal with this because yeah. you're going to embarrass him and or whatever. There's yeah. something, something triggered off, but I was just like, bugger off. <laughs> I'm dealing with this. And, my, you know, and just 
really struggled to get him back up because he was like a lead weight. But I just, it was a, I totally switched away from asking for help from a stranger because I think I was protecting my dad in some weird way. Do you, um, do you think, uh, I don't know, it's an open question, but do you think it has anything to do with kind of control in as far as all these things that you're having to deal with are generally out of your control and something like that coming in, obviously it would be helpful, but potentially it might present, in your mind, potentially a whole raft of other problems. Like your dad might freak out about the fact that he's he doesn't know the guy or mm. you know he doesn't want to be touched or, or whatever it might be. But do you think that had anything to play in it, or do you think it's just literally a case of you just got to a point whereby you were like, I don't want help, no, I've just got it? No, I think it was some sort of um, internal sort of protective thing from my dad. Um, I I generally could have done with the help, so it wasn't like I didn't need the help, but I mm. was, I think I was subconsciously protecting my dad as an he wouldn't know this guy. He might not freak out, but he might be embarrassed and he was acting very strange. So I didn't want this guy to almost judge my dad. Yeah. It's a very personal thing that we're going through as well. Like it's fucking, it's a really personal and, and, and testing thing. And you can, it can be a simple thing as you might, you, you don't, you didn't think of all those options, like the positive benefits of it. And you just made a decision and yeah. it's done because you're going through something that's, I, like one of the toughest things I ever did. Right. And, and I, I like, so I, I haven't done counseling since then. I did counseling during at one point, but the toughest thing that I'm, I've made peace with now was a decision I made to protect my mum, but it was seeing my dad in like, um, in a real bad way. And this is literally sadly, sorry to be so morbid, but about three days before his death on my mum's birthday. And, um, my mum, like mum had been mum somehow like this is mad. had got a cab up to dad to see him in hospital like this day. Right. And, um, got up there and I had a present from dad for mum. Um, obviously dad was in a, not in a position to be, even remembering anyone's birthdays at this point, but he had showed some signs of potential recovery. He went in with a UTI, Eric. That's the mad thing. And Kate died after being in hospital for like 10 weeks. And, and I remember when I got there, dad was like having some, like having a full on episode. And I, and I really, I took a look at my dad and thought, I don't think he's in there anymore. Like that's how bad it was. And my first reaction was to protect my mum, like because my mum, I looked in my mum's eyes, and my mum, like being a child now, really, um, I just was like, I've got to get mum home because what she's witnessing here is a man, just a wild man who is in a who's now, but unfortunately, I, I, I don't know if that's an appropriate word, but he's in a vegetative state, but he was awake and just got screaming, and I. I kind of really beat myself out on the fact that I, I chose mum at that point over dad. Like, and I was so, so protective of my mum that I was like, right, this is what I'm going to do, this, this, and this. And then um, and by that point, visiting hours had ended and I couldn't get back to see my dad that night. And I, I beat myself up over that for so long mm-hmm. because of how sick he was. And even if he doesn't know I was there, maybe he would have done. But it was a split-second decision, Eric. Like you with in the park, like I made, I made a call. And Aye. that's it. Like, and you know, as much as there's lots of things you can plan around 
these like y- y- the care for your parents in the moment you you know like doctors like you're gonna have to make decisions and sometimes you'll look back and go uh, that that weren't that might not have been the right move or maybe I could maybe there was another option other than taking mum straight out of the hospital maybe I should have taken her in the waiting room but it, yeah know. but maybe as you say you, you could see the part that you could control yeah the other part you couldn't control but you could yeah, maybe yeah. protect your mum because you could maybe move her out of the way so I can understand that it's a as you say a knee jerk reaction but maybe subconsciously you did know. I can't change that. Unfortunately, what my dad's happening right now, even though I want to be by his side, but I can at least take my mum and mm. not add stress to her. So I can understand yeah. that sort of natural reaction. It's like a yeah. instinct, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. I mean, hearing it, hearing like all the things that you're talking about, it's mental, like thinking about it in the context of parenthood, it's just insane, the parallels. The more you talk about it, the more it's like, that's exactly what you do for your kids, right? Like yeah. if you have, if you have, once you've got kids, like you will literally, you make snap decisions like that to keep them alive, to stop them kind of. And it does just kick in at that kind of like base fight or flight instinct kind of thing. You make sharp, challenging decisions that after, you know, half an hour or an hour of thinking about it, you go, I did I do the right thing there and you've got time to think about it then but actually as you say what you're really doing is making a snap decision and going I'm processing this as quick as I can that's that feels like the smartest move trust my instinct and go with it kind of thing you know but the parallels are incredible really and it does yeah, but as we've said earlier I like you know depreciating scale kind of thing Don't panic, it's not just the end of the podcast, there's more to come. This one was so much longer because there was so much to talk about, I think, that we had to split it in half. So it's not just a weird way to end it. What that is, is just us taking a break for a minute to give you a chance to go away and get yourself a drink, take a break, get some fresh air, whatever you need to do, or indeed just press play on the next episode, whatever suits you. The idea being that actually these are, or this one particularly is already quite long, and um, I think it's fair that we will have a break every now and again. So enjoy part two, and um, we'll see you there.